Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I'm your host Ben Kreider and today I'm going to be giving you all a recap from the Thunder game versus the Mavericks, some of the top performers, how the 30-year-olds did, and what to expect moving forward. And again, guys, like always, there's going to be a very special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook, so you do not want to miss out on that. In terms of scheduling, guys, I appreciate you all for kind of sticking through it. Looks like we're going to be good now, so the rest of the month should be smooth sailing, should be one a day. If not, I should be doing one every two or so, so thank you all for getting through it. We are now back on track and for the thunder they were looking to get back on track sunday night playing against the dallas mavericks as we all know took that 21 point beating against the lakers on friday lebron james dropped a 33 piece really was no uh no real storylines outside of trade man you know you didn't see much shooting uh from the thunder i think they shot in the 20s from distance trey man had 19 though he was looking to pick it back up in his six-man role and sga was looking to turn the corner following a 15 point stinker he had on friday and it looked like that they were going to be good going into this game you have a dallas mavericks team that is out of its mvp candidate and luka Doncic. and what does that mean that means they have to put jalen brunson in the mix as your starter and honestly jalen brunson has always been a thorn any thunder side it doesn't matter if luca's playing doesn't matter who's playing he could be playing all of five ten minutes and he's still gonna look like an all-star candidate so seeing Jalen brunson as that starting pg it's not major because you know he's gonna be productive but him versus luca Doncic, i mean come on you want you want Jalen brunson to be that starter so you have the mavericks go out with Jalen brunson they have reggie bullock out there dorian finney smith those two guys I'd consider them fairly manageable. They're not that crazy. And then you're looking at a front court of Kristaps Porzingis and Dwight Powell. So for the Thunder, you should be salivating at this, honestly, because you have SGA, you have Lou Dort. Honestly, you have everyone outside of the G League assignees, but they weren't going to play uh, really anyways. So you have the full artillery going into this game. You're looking to take a W on the second game of your homestand. And it started out, it just was not going their way. The first seven points went in the Mavericks' direction. And a lot of it just had to do with roster construction for the Oklahoma City Thunder. And I think we all kind of know what the elephant in the room is. They just don't have any true fives. And they oftentimes run these small ball lineups. And sometimes the other teams will conform to them. That was not the case to begin this game. They have Darius Baisley at the four, Jeremiah Robinson Earl at the five, which is the traditional setup for Mark Dagnalt's crew anyways. But they go out there and the first four of the seven points are coming right around the basket. And what they ended up doing a minute into this game was they actually swapped out Dwight Powell for Moses Brown. So you have a seven foot three Chris Tapps and a seven foot two Moses Brown going against a Baisley who's six eight, maybe six nine, and a Jeremiah Robinson Earl who's also kind of in that range. So you're giving up a lot of height. You're giving up a lot of kind of defense around the interior. So they get off their seven points in two minutes, and Mark Dagnalt had to make some sort of adjustment. So what does he do? Ends up calling that timeout. He subs favors in for Jeremiah Robinson Earl, and it actually looked pretty good for them. They got five consecutive points, went on an 8-2 to run to make it a one-point game, and then it kind of turned 
into this little back and forth. You had Porzingis go for five straights, then you saw Finney Smith hit a three, uh, and then it started tilting a bit into the Mavs' direction. So they had a little gust once again. They were up 19 to 11, and it looked like they were going for a double-digit lead, trying to stamp it down early. Uh, but Mike Muscala was just not about it. He gets subbed in first 90 seconds of play. He already hits two three-pointers and a layup, gets eight consecutive for the Thunder, and he makes it interesting yet again. So he makes it kind of a back and forth to close out that first quarter. Ends up going to the Mavs 28-27, to so that's really not a big deal. All things considered, that was a victory because it looked like two two separate times, actually, that they were going to kind of splurge and cough up a major deficit. They never really did that. They held firm. They move on to that second quarter, and they need to continue that success, but it did not happen. You get the Dallas bench mob out there. They hit their first four of four shots for the Thunder side. They didn't hit anything, and they got on a 9-0 run, put themselves up 10 and now you're on the outside looking in. You need to strike something, cover some of that distance, and they could not do that. Halftime score, 56-46, to going for the Dallas Mavericks. So yet again, you're back, playing from behind, needing that comeback. We've seen it all the time from the Thunder. Uh, oftentimes it comes in the fourth, so you want to be urgent in the third. can always happen later on, but you have to make some sort of push to begin that second half and they started it out you know they got it down I think to six at some points um, but they could never really break it the Mavericks led wire to wire in that third quarter and Jalen Brunson was the top guy from that patch he had 10 points consecutively for the Mavs and that's all they needed they just needed one person they could put all their offense in when you look at what the Thunder were doing in that frame uh, they never had that number one guy, right? So it made it pretty damn troublesome for the Thunder uh, in terms of trying to stop him. And then you had SGA who had nine in the frame, but he went three of seven. Uh, as for uh, what you had in Jalen Brunson, I mean, he shot four of six, so he was as hot as a pistol. But yeah, it, it was not happening. And they needed to kind of catch their breath and make another run. Didn't see one in that fourth quarter whatsoever, and it's pretty interesting because uh, even in the first three quarters, you know, the Thunder kept making it close. They just never could seal the deal and tie the game or get it within a singular possession. It was like that, I think, since like the opening, like the eight-minute mark in the first quarter, something like that, but you go into the fourth, and it's still not as bad as it could have been, I would say, because now you're only going in down nine points. They had a 9-0 run to begin the second quarter. Why not make one to start the fourth quarter and then you're up and running? But they let it get away from them. They couldn't buy a bucket. And on the other end, the Dallas Mavericks just made them pay. I mean, you saw the Thunder take shot after shot. They shot 5 of 19 in the fourth quarter. And then what you saw for the Dallas Mavericks was, I mean, they were just thrashing them around the basket, number one. Uh, but number two, you know, they were hitting their shots and they were getting to the foul line. They went eight of nine from the stripe in the fourth. They went seven of 17 from the field. I talked about how, you know, the Thunder were shooting barely above a quarter uh, of, of percent from just the floor in general. They shot two of 10 from three. They couldn't get to the line. So they were suffocated. They only had 13 points in the quarter. The Mavs had 23. 
gave them a pretty comfy cushion. I think they were up 15 points uh, by the nine minute mark there. So they chipped this one out. They had a 19 point win. They take it 103 to 84. In the Thunder's case, that moves them to 8 and 17 on the season. While for the Dallas Mavericks, they are now riding right at that 500 line at 13 and 13. And they pick up their first victory uh, without Luka Doncic in the rotation. So I guess good on them. But when you look at this game, um, there's kind of a decent bit to take away here. Shots weren't falling. That's kind of the main thing. But it goes way beyond the final tally. So I'm going to get into all that in one second here. But first, I want to let you guys know about my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. Football fans, I'm sure we all love the action-packed, high-scoring NFL game. But with the latest no-brainer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, you'll be a winner once a single point is scored. New customers who bet just $1 on any team to score can win $100 in free bets. It's that simple. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long, and they will be giving all new customers a free shot of millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Here's what you have to do for the offer. Go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet just $1 on any team to score and win $100 in free bets if they score. You score with promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older in New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, go ahead and call 1-800-GAMBLER. But guys, moving right along to what we saw from this contest. I have my two top performers. I'm going to save that for a second here. I just kind of want to run down the line uh, of what we saw statistically uh, from both sides. So you look at the Thunder. I mean, this was an intriguing game because they shot arguably better uh, from the three-point line than they did at the twos. And honestly, if you break down the numbers, they didn't, all right? But they shot 35% from three. 13 of 37, not bad whatsoever. Uh, in all, they shot 37.5%, went 30 of 80. So almost 50% of those shots came from three. This is a little bit interesting because when you kind of backtrack a little bit here, Oklahoma City has been just straight putrid from beyond the arc. And when you look at the last five games for the Thunder, they've shot 27.9%. They go out here, start 6 of 12 from the three-point line, and then obviously get to that magic number at 35.1%. But that's a major improvement, uh, kind of from what we've seen uh, the last couple of contests. So that was obviously good. But when you break down the number, like 35% is great, but dissect it a bit. They shot 6 
of 12 from three in that first quarter. And that's the one where they were only down one stick man going into that second. So that was pretty good, but they were really just reliant on that three ball. So that was the offense. It's kind of what the offense was against the Lakers as well, just because uh, the defense like was forcing shots out to the corner and uh, justifiably so. That's where SGA and Giddy were kicking the passes out to. But yeah, they go out 6 of 12 there. They end up shooting 6 of 25 in the final three quarters from distance though. So this was not really a good three-point shooting game for them. Now, they did have those moments, but when you're shooting 24% across three out of the four quarters on average, it's not going to be a very good game for you. And that's kind of what happened here because since the three-point shots were not going down, well, what are the Mavs going to do? The Mavs that have a seven-foot-three Chris Dapps and a seven-foot-two Moses Brown, they're going to pack that paint. They're going to make life living hell for any of the guards. And that's exactly what happened in this game. SGA led the team in scoring. That's not really a surprise here, but the efficiency was not there for him. Shot six of 15 on the game with just one of five from distance. And then he got to a line, went five of six. Good numbers. Compared to what we've seen, though, he's actually been getting like double digits at the stripe. So six is still, it's modest. It could have been more. Like, I'm going to be greedy. The big thing, though, is that three ball. And SGA looked like he had it down. To begin this game, it looked like a 30 piece from SGA because you didn't have Luka. That's kind of the starting makeup um, that you're going to get from this. But also, you have him doing a magnificent job creating in the mid-range. I think he had two step backs in the first. And then he actually got open in his space for a pair of step back threes in the first half. And those didn't go in. But just the sheer amount of space he was creating off of those just made me think that, you know, he was going to eventually find his stride, but he never found it. Instead, he kept trying to go inside, and it's not a bad strategy because it's worked uh, extremely well lately, even when there are two, three guys going at him, but he was not getting the whistle enough uh, for it to yield success, so that's kind of where he struggled, and he was able to rifle off five assists, which I think that was the team high. Uh, yeah, it was, so good for him on that, but like, you know, it would have been really, really nice to see more step backs from him. And it would have been nice to see more playing calling, uh, calling from Mark Dagnall. And I'll talk about that in a second here. But I think that's the major issue as to why SGA uh, didn't perform as well, why some of these other guys didn't perform as well, and maybe why they lost this game uh, anyways. But SGA had a stinker. When you look at the other guard and Josh Giddy, he went pretty terrible from the floor. He shot 3 of 14 0 of 4 from distance, 6 points, 7 rebounds, and 4 assists marked his final stat line in 30 minutes, and all of those shots kind of came right around the basket. I mean, he was like a floater specialist early, and then just like I talked about, the gates closed. You couldn't get around the basket, and it was a major problem. They only had 20 points in the paint this game, and I haven't checked it's I'm pretty confident in saying that's got to be their season low. I mean, even when they are playing at their absolute worst, they're always able to find some resolve around the cup because normally the issue starts from the three and then taps inside. This time, it just completely infected everywhere on the floor. They couldn't hit their shots, and yeah, they couldn't get 
inside unless they were getting a whistle uh, in which they only had 16 foul attempts anyways, sunk 11 of those. But that uh, little tandem didn't perform that well. Lou Dort, he actually got shortened down to 16 minutes in this game. He got pulled tail end in the second quarter. Like there were maybe 30 seconds left and there was a high ball screen and off of the screen, he got hit a little bit, ended up tripping and he was down for a bit grabbing onto his ankle. So he must have tweaked it. It wasn't an ankle roll uh, from the video. I don't think it was. And he just went straight to the locker room. So they didn't really comment on it. They just said, hey, he's out for the remainder of the game. Hopefully he's going to be good. Uh, he was definitely missed, especially during that third quarter when you had Brunson going at it. He would have locked him up, maybe given you some opportunities. And then even from three, I mean, he shot two of five, which is not bad, like whatsoever. So yeah, you could have got some more shots from him. But yeah, didn't get to see a full slate of his play. He still got 10 points anyways, though, which kind of lets you know the sort of production you are getting with Lou. As for the two front court figures, Darius Baisley and JRE, it was kind of surprising how they were playing. I mean, typically for a guy like Baze, you're going to see him struggle at the three-point line and reap rewards of maybe slashing inside or getting foul calls. Sometimes neither, right? But in this one, he just lived at the three. Shot three of six from distance. That was all three of his makes, by the way. Got 10 points, six rebounds, and two assists. Did a pretty good job rejecting shots in this one, too. He had a pair of blocks. Both of those, though, it didn't seem like he cared. Like, someone asked him in the presser after the game, and he was like, well, we didn't win the game, so whatever. Like, this does not matter. <laughs> um, but, yeah, he had a good game. And then for JRE... He also did good on the offensive end, went 3 of 6, got 11 points, only had one rebound though, and that's kind of the scary part you're going to find here, just because you do not have those big guys. They got out-rebounded 54-39 to 39 for reference here, and honestly, the duo of Bays and JRE were almost unplayable in this game. JRE got shortened down to 16 minutes in the game, Baisley was still getting a normal starting pallet, he played 31 minutes. Uh, but I still think uh, they could have done a much better job in terms of constructing their rotations for the game and some of the play calling because they were pretty scarce uh, in terms of using one specific play that I will go into. Uh, actually, why not right now? And that's going to lead us into our top performers from this game. And this is one where you don't have the obvious pick. You don't have Trey Mann dropping 19 points. You don't have SGA going out for 30. Lou Dort's not getting his 10th 20-point performance of the season. You gotta kind of get nitpicky with it. Gotta kind of hand-select some stats and maybe uh, construct a little bit more of a storyline here, but I think the two guys that I picked out did a hell of a job uh, in last night's game, and both of them are the two 30-year-olds. The eldest members of of the team here and Derek Favors and Mike Muscala and I'll preface it by saying hey like if you want to rag on that decision I get it when you look at why the Mavs won that game it was because they were getting right to the rim whenever they wanted to they had 50 points in the paint the Thunder only had 20 when you look at their high scores Chris Stops had 13 points Maxi Kleba off the bench had 16 you had Dwight Powell who was out there for four points and Moses Brown, who had 15 points and 6 rebounds in 20 minutes. 
5 of 6 from the floor, 5 of 8 from the foul line. I'll probably talk about him in a second as well, too, because he had one hell of a game, um, but, you know, you could have maybe picked him apart just a little bit here. But just going into the number one guy, Derek Favors is the first person on my list, and he was needed uh, in that first quarter. I talked about it when I was just mentioning the recap of it. I mean, the Thunder didn't look that great to begin the game. They were down 7-0. Moses Brown just got subbed in, and there was no height on this team. And you need to find that true five. You don't have one. I'm going to say the closest you're going to find on this roster, though, is Derek Favors. So he calls a timeout. He inserts Favors. Completely changes the game. 8-2 run, 9-8 in the Mavs' favor. And yeah, they got back in a ga- uh, into the game, and it never seemed to be a problem for them. Like, they were leading... I think the entire time outside of maybe 30 seconds of play, but that one little shift gave them an opportunity, and it was one that kind of allowed them to be inside single digits for the majority of the contest, and when you check out the team, uh, when you see Bays, when you see JRE, you know it's going to be an issue, but it just got exploited way too early, so that's why they had to put in Derek. He only played 17 minutes in the game, but... He was still fairly impressive, I'd say, when he was out there. Now, in the paint, it's obviously a joint effort. In the 17 minutes, though, they had 16 points, and that's not really off the trend here. I think when you want to do the math, like 16 uh, minutes, if you want to amp up favors to a per 48, they probably had ballpark range 48-ish points in the paint anyways, so it's not like he was a rim protector, he didn't have a block, I think he had two fouls actually, but he was still a steady guy to throw out there, I think he was the best option out of the four that you would have traditionally, didn't get to see Isaiah Roby much in the mix either, so yeah, it's really just going to be your traditional pack of um, of four guys, I thought he was kind of scrappy anyways, I mean he still hauled down five rebounds, it's better than what JRE did in his sample, and then he also had seven points, and he went a perfect three of three from the floor, when you check out what he was doing, I mean, he had two back-to-back shots, these are like off the catch, I think they were both off of screens as well, but 21-footer and 17-foot just face-up shot, he got them both to go in, and then he was just cut off, 40 seconds gave you four points with Derek, and yeah, then Mark was not looking that way anymore. You were looking to play in the half court. Not a ton of movement was going on. Uh, and that kind of called for an issue. But I will say, in the minimal minutes, Derek Favors did impress me uh, uh, quite a bit, actually. So that's the first one. But I think the number one guy actually goes to Mike Muscala. And when you look at the box score, you're going to say, why would you pick Mike Muscala? Even with Derek Favors, it's an oddball pick. Because SGA had double digits. He had three other members of that starting unit clock in 10 plus, but it doesn't matter because I'm looking at efficiency. I'm looking at who made the biggest impact and impact and the biggest impression uh, on the game. And I think that does go to the moose here. So he goes out there and plays 12 minutes, gets eight points in a rebound, three of four from the field and went two of two from three. So game changer on the surface level Absolutely not, but I think he definitely was a major contributor. Just like Derek Favors got in there at the 7-0 start, you're looking at the 19-11 blunder that was going on, you pop in Mike Muscala, and he's right there for you. 
eight straight points for the Thunder. You couldn't find that streak anywhere else in this game. Uh, and it's just because you find him open in the corner. He's going to get in rhythm easy. And then that taps into him being able to play right around the basket. So he gets the eight points. And just like Derek's case, gets pulled out and doesn't get to play. And he only had one other missed shots, so he ends the night three of four. I just think he needed to see a lot more of time. We saw Jeremiah just get completely axed. Darius Baisley could not hold it down. And then you're looking at other guys, and it's not working. So there was never a true number one option around the rim. I mentioned favors, but... Still, you didn't really give Moose a big enough chance. I think the main reason you would have put him in this game, though, uh, was the offensive impact he would have brought to the table. I think this is a game where if you give Mike 25 minutes, he's probably dropping 15, 16 points for you just because his lethal sharpshooting would have been major in this game and Mark Dagnall did not use high ball screens. That's what made me kind of furious during this contest and it made me shake my head for the majority of the fourth quarter because in the first three, I wasn't really reading much into the situation. It was a close enough game to where you couldn't really hone in on what the issue was fourth quarter comes about it's apparent they just let Moses Brown lurk out there inside and there was no consequences you're loading up on those seven footers you need to work from three you need to get the pick and pop came going instead you just saw a lot of drives to the rim that came up empty-handed and we have seen a season's worth of Moses Brown. Now, I love Moses Brown. I was pretty salty when they traded him because he was just a throw-in. I think on this roster, he would still be very, very fun. And I think everyone's complaining about him being trash. There are some holes in his game. I don't think he's complete garbage, though. He's the energy bench guy. That's what he turned into in this game. And that's why uh, there was such an issue for the Thunder to create some offense this dude's got some crazy wingspan if the ball is anywhere in his vicinity he's going to contest it or just block the hell out of it um, but the thing is you're able to just pick him apart in terms of pick and rolls the high ball screen specifically is what tears Moses Brown apart you get a screen up top you're looking at SGA driving downhill or whoever it is, Josh Giddy or Trey Mann, they can also be in this spot. They're going to be driving downhill and there's got to be a decision made. Is Moses Brown going to hedge on this screen? He's going to drop back or is he going to actually switch? I'll tell you what, there's no reason he should be switching on that screen. He's likely going to drop actually. That's what we saw from him a lot last year. And then even on the hedge, it's kind of awkward with him. He's a little bit flat-footed. And that means you can get into that 10 to 12 foot range and just launch up a floater. That's how he got tormented last season. You have SGA, who's very good around the basket. Trey Mann, who lived off of floaters with the Florida Gators. And Josh Giddy, who I think all three of his baskets actually came off of those push shots. That's a recipe for success. And Mark Dagnall did not throw that out near enough. And the reason is... You know, when you're not bringing out Mike Muscala for the long haul, there's probably not a good enough player out there. Put Mike Muscala in that situation. That's how you won the game against the Raptors. Right up top, find Mike Muscala off the driving dish. There's three people in front of SGA's face. He's going to hit the shot if he's wide open at the top of the key. Didn't get to see the light of day. And all credit goes to the Mavs, I think, because even with that, I think they still would have brute forced this out. 
I think their paint was just too dominant. Their paint play was in that case. And then Moses Brown too. He was just an absolute delight. Like I said it on Twitter. I said it in last uh, night's podcast. Like he should have written this on his calendar. He should have marked it down because the roster for the Thunder just can't really compete with a guy like him. Springy seven foot two guy. Offensively, he's able to get those offensive rebounds. He's able to get those second chance points. He didn't really go up for many second chance points. I think oftentimes it's because he didn't really go in for the entry passes anyways. He was just kind of outside like at the block. Never truly was in the mix for rebounds. But when you did force feed him, he was able to dominate. He was able to get a couple and ones. I think he had a dunk uh, over somebody too. Just lengthy guy. He made his return count. And, you know, Rick Carlisle talked about it after the game. Every time he's getting an amp up in minutes, he's been doing well. I don't think he's going to be a starting caliber guy. Definitely not. I think what you're looking at Moses Brown uh, as in the future is just a person that can bring the energy off the bench. Does it to a T to this game? 20 minutes, he gets you the 15. That's almost going to be a team high uh, for not just the Mavs, but for the game. I think 18 was the high shared between Brunson and and SGA. So Moses Brown was really everything I expected. I thought this would be a game where he dropped double figures, 15 points, probably not. We didn't get to see any plays where he had like four successive offensive rebounds. That would have made me just like lose it because seeing all those OKC blue games, I just crave seeing those plays from him. I don't think he's going to be back in the G League though for a little bit here. While they don't have Willie Cauley-Stein out, I think he's going to get some of the minutes from Dwight Powell. I think he will be getting a steady 10 to 15 minutes uh, for probably the next week or two just to see if he can continue this production. But it's always situational with that guy. I mean, the Thunder, that's the team that bigs are going to find a lot of leeway with just because they are bigger and they can utilize their strength to kind of just get some baskets. I know it's not the same universe here when you're comparing Moses Brown to Anthony Davis, but nobody could really stop him in the two matchups he did play against the Thunder this season. So yeah, bigs love to play OKC. It's going to be something that probably won't have the resolution until a couple seasons down the line, but it's okay. This is one where the Mavs earned this victory. I think if the Thunder wanted a counter, they would have had more stretch bigs out there for three-point shots. You had JRE go three of six, and a lot of that came in the fourth quarter, guys. So they didn't do it enough in the early segments. I think that one gets chalked up to just not enough looks for the big guys. Instead, you're looking out to the wing or the corner. Just start it all on top when Moses is out there and just see where it goes. Whenever they play him again, maybe that's what you try to utilize, but it's going to be a while until they face off against the Dallas Mavericks. And it's going to be a short bit here, or I guess a larger bit than usual, uh, until they strap up and play in their next game. They're going to be playing Wednesday against the New Orleans Pelicans. They're going to continue their homestand as well, which is pretty nice. And when you're looking at the New Orleans Pelicans, this is a team that is the bottom dweller of the Western Conference right now. They are 8-21. and The Thunder are 8-18. Eight and 18. And you don't have Zion. He's going to be out for a little bit here. We'll see what the updated injury report looks like, but this is a game that could go either way just because the Pelicans have not figured it out just yet 
yet. So that'll be a good one. As for tomorrow's episode, guys, I've been loading up on great stories. I cannot wait to tell them to you all in the next one. So hopefully you all listen to that one. As for today's episode, really appreciate you guys sticking out uh, through the entirety of it. And I will be back for tomorrow to break down the two top stories. Other than that, though, guys, that is going to do it, though. And I thank you all for listening. See ya.